bless God. Amen. As you remain standing, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 2 Timothy. It's been several weeks because of things that have been going on, but many of you are aware of the fact that this fall we have been in a series of messages that we have simply entitled Finishing Strong, Being Prepared for the Days Ahead and How to Overcome. And what we have said throughout this series is that we have no idea what the future holds for Christianity in the United States of America. I know it's very easy for us to assume that because we've always had religious freedom in this country, we will always have that religious freedom. But every single day, we are seeing the erosion of our religious freedoms here in this country and around the world. We do not know what the future will hold. But what we do know is that where we are right now and the direction that we are currently heading in, if they are any indication of the future, then Christians are in for some very rough and difficult times ahead. And so we are praying for the best, but we believe we need to prepare for the worst. Because when those days come, if they do come, we aren't going to have time to play catch-up. We're not going to be able to cram for that. You're going to go into those days either ready and prepared, or you're going to be swept away. And here's the reality, is that even if there is no institutionalized persecution of the church in this country, every one of us are in for trials for our faith. Every one of us are going to go through difficulties, whether those difficulties happen within our marriage, within our family, within our workplace, we're all going to be tested and we need to be prepared for those dark moments so that we will overcome in Jesus' mighty name. And that's why we're taking the time to look at this material. And we've been looking at this each week in this series through the lens of the final letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, a letter we know as 2 Timothy. It's important for you to remember that Timothy is writing this from his cell. He's chained to other criminals, and he is weeks, maybe months, though it seems to be more imminent than that, from his own execution. And knowing that his departure is at hand, he is sharing some final instructions on finishing strong with his young protege, Timothy, who is ministering in the church that is located in the ancient city of Ephesus. Now, the last time we were together, Paul spoke of enduring hardship, and he offered three illustrations. I don't know if you remember this, but he said that as soldiers, we are to endure not, only, not allowing ourselves to become entangled with the affairs of civilian life. That as athletes, we are to train and compete by the rules that have been set forth by the Lord. That like farmers, we are to endure by working hard, even when it appears that there is nothing happening. Waiting patiently for the harvest, because we will reap if we faint not in Jesus' name. Now I want you to listen to what he's going to say to us today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble even as an evildoer, even to the point of change. 
But the Word of God is not changed. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. This morning, I want to share with you just for a few moments a very simple message that I've entitled, The Power of His Resurrection. The power of His resurrection. Lord, glorify Your name in the words that are spoken today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. One more time before you see to give the Lord all the praise in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. And turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him. In Jesus' name, bless the Lord. David Livingston was a Scottish missionary and explorer who spent 33 years in the heart of Africa. During those 33 years, he suffered many afflictions and trials and spreading the gospel and really single-handedly opening Africa to the Christian faith. Once he was asked about the sacrifices that he endured over those 33 years, and this is what he said, people talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of a great debt owing to our God which we can never repay. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink, but let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Again, asked about the sacrifices he, he made, he said emphatically, what are you talking about? That is no sacrifice. It is a privilege. He said, I never made a sacrifice. It was reasonable. You know, through the years, I've had the privilege of meeting many godly men and women and have been with them near the end of their days. Men and women who finished very strong, that finished very well, that had lived an exemplary life, that had lived a very godly life right up to the very end. And one thing that I have noticed as I have interviewed them, as I have talked to them, is that they have a very different outlook on life and faith than the general population that you find in church every Sunday morning. And that is not true just of them. That is true of 
of all that we read in the Word of God, movers and shakers, if you will, within the kingdom of God. For instance, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, one translation says, in view of the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What Paul is saying is what might at first appear unreasonable in that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, is quickly rendered reasonable once it is viewed through the lens of the mercies of Almighty God. It's your outlook that determines whether you believe what He has required of you is unreasonable or reasonable. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, for our light affliction, this coming from the man who was shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, this is from a man who suffered the better part of his life. He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Again, Paul is saying that viewing affliction on any level that we can experience as men and women on simply a temporal or a material plane would make affliction seem overwhelming and heavy. But once you begin to view it on a spiritual, eternal, and even an unseen level, it is light, momentary, and it's not even worthy to be considered in the same conversation as the greater weight of glory that waits for us when we are with Christ one day. And so again, these are men that looked at afflictions and they looked at sacrifices and they said, they're not sacrifices, they're privileges. These are men who looked at afflictions and difficulties that they experienced on a regular basis and said, they're light, they're temporary, and they're not even worthy of being compared to what is waiting for us when we stand before the Lord one day and see Him face to face. No matter how you look at it, if you and I are going to finish strong in the days ahead, we must possess the proper perspective in every season of life. If all you do is look at the trials and the burdens of life, then you are going to fold quickly. But once you can look at them with a proper perspective because you understand the broader context, then all of a sudden you have the ability to finish strong because you're going to realize very quickly this has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the glory of Almighty God. Those who have finished well, those who are able to endure trials and finish stronger than they actually started out all possess this proper perspective. I was reminded of that even this week as I was doing my devotions. In Proverbs chapter 23 and verses 17 and 18 you read, Do not let your heart envy sinners who live godless lives and have no hope of salvation. It's very easy to find ourselves becoming envious of men and women who live godless lives and have no hope of salvation to compare our lives to theirs. 
but rather we are to continue to live in the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord day by day. Surely there is a future in it and there is a reward and your hope and expectation will not be cut off. Can we be absolutely transparent with one another here this morning? Continuing in the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade is not easy. But it is easier once you are convinced that there is a future in fearing the Lord and that the great reward and all the hopes and expectations you have are not going to be cut off. In the end, you will reign on the earth with Christ Jesus, your Lord. So perspective is everything. Turn to your neighbor and tell them perspective is, is everything. It's how you view what you're going through that will actually determine whether you falter in this hour or you thrive in Jesus' name. And that is what Paul is telling Timothy in this portion of Scripture. Look where, look where he starts out. In verse number 8, look at that very first word, remember. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but God is obsessed with memory and with remembrance. I mean, how often do you see the Lord putting us in remembrance? of moving upon the authors of these letters and these historical documents to remind us to remember properly. In the Old Testament, how often do you see God say, erect these stones or erect this altar? So that every time you see that altar, every time you see these stones, that you will remember what I did at that moment. So that you will never forget that as I was with you then, I will be with you today. Even the New Testament, we are constantly being called to remembrance. In fact, no less than once a month, we go into remembrance and we take communion. Because every time we take it, we are to take it in remembrance of Him for the blood and for the body that was shed and poured out for you and I that we might have everlasting life. And so God is obsessed with this. He knows how powerful our memories are. Memories are powerful and they're intriguing because they can either cripple us or they can strengthen us. Some of you know exactly what I mean because even to this day, you are paralyzed because of memories you have from your childhood. Memories that you have in growing up. Memories that you have when you were in school. Memories that you have from your first marriage. And no matter how hard you try, you cannot get any lift in life because of the memories that still plague you to this day. What you and I choose to recall at critical moments in our lives will determine whether we fold under the pressure or we flourish. And Paul understood that and he told Timothy to remember, but not just remember anything. He says, remember, verse 8, that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And what that means is not that Jesus rose according to the gospel that I preach. He's saying that the gospel, and the word gospel means good news, that it is founded upon the fact that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, has been raised from the dead. So he tells Timothy to remember, but not just to remember Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, but specifically to remember that He was raised from the dead, which is the foundation of the good news that we preach. Can I tell you that if Christ has not risen from the dead, then our faith has no substance. 
The very fact that we're here today is to celebrate that Jesus is not dead, laying in a tomb somewhere in Jerusalem, but today He is sitting on the right hand of God Almighty where He ever lives to intercede for you and I in Jesus' name. Could somebody give God all the praise for that? So after commanding Timothy to endure hardship as a good soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer, he knew that Timothy was going to need a context for his suffering that would provide for him the proper perspective. And the context that he offered him was that of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the context for our enduring hardship and provides the perspective that is necessary in order to finish strong. What you need to recall every time you are going through a difficult season is that Jesus is not dead. He is alive forevermore and that you live as an example that that which dies in Christ lives again in Jesus' mighty name. I don't know if you're fascinated with this as much as I am, but to me it's amazing how the resurrection ultimately finds its way into every area of our Christian faith. It is the resurrection that is the validation to everything that Jesus taught and claimed. The resurrection is the exclamation point on our hope of life after death. The resurrection is the hope of seeing all who have died in Christ before us once again one day. It is without a doubt the central truth that we hold to. So much so that the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Paul said so instrumental is the resurrection of Christ to the gospel that if Christ has not risen from the dead, then my preaching here today is empty. Your faith in what is being preached is empty. Your faith is actually futile. We are still in our sin. But the good news is, is that he's not dead. On the third day, he arose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow in Jesus' name. Come on, give him all the praise this morning if you believe that. But what is often overlooked is the fact that the resurrection also became the occasion by which the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those who follow Him. We often forget that without the resurrection, which was a precursor to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we would not have the Spirit of God. Jesus Himself said that. When he was in the upper room on the night that he was betrayed with the disciples and he began to tell them that he was leaving, he said to John, in John 16 and verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Say advantage. Advantage. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And I'm sure that that was very hard for the disciples to hear at that time. For the last 
three and a half years they had walked with Jesus. He had been their constant um, friend. He had been their healer, their deliverer. They had been with him and they had no fear. And now he says, I'm leaving. And he says, I know that's hard for you to hear, but you need to know it is to your advantage that I am leaving. Because if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit that has been empowering me for these last three and a half years to do what I've been doing is only going to stay with me. And I can only be in one place at one time. So if I'm with you, John, I can't be with you, Peter. But once I depart, the first thing that I'm going to do is pray to the Father and He's going to send you the same Holy Spirit that was dwelling in me and He's not going to any longer just be in me. He's going to be in you, Peter, and you, Paul, and all of you and for all that have called upon the name of the Lord so that what I've done you can do in greater works than these shall you do all because when I rise again the Spirit that raised me from the dead is going to dwell in you and raise you from this dead world to live as I've called you to live in Jesus' name. Paul said in Romans 8 and verse number 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And I'm always quick to remind you of this every time we read this particular portion of Scripture, that here he is not talking about the future resurrection at the end of the age. Yes, we believe that the dead in Christ will rise first, but he's not talking about that here. He is talking about our present relationship with the Holy Spirit. That if the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is dwelling in the heart of the believer, He quickens our mortal body so that we no longer have to say, I can't do this, but you can say, through Christ, I can do all things that He has commanded me to do because He strengthens me by the same Spirit. I don't know if anybody else is enjoying this, but I love the fact that the same Spirit that invaded that tomb that first Easter Sunday morning and brought Christ back from the dead and brought him into a new life is the same spirit that is available to me today so that in every dead situation I can rise again and by the power of God live as God called me to live in Jesus name so the resurrection for the New Testament church for the first century believer was not just the hope of life after death but it was also the occasion of which the Father provided the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead to actually strengthen them to endure everything that was thrown to them. We know today that the resurrection is not just a foundational truth for our faith, but it is vital to enduring to the end. In fact, I would go as far to say that no matter how bold your confession is, no matter how strong your will might be, your willpower and your confession will not carry you in the days ahead. It is not by might. It is not by power. It is by the Spirit of Almighty God. And if He is not alive in you, you will never make it in the days that lie ahead. But with Him, all things become possible in Jesus' name. Now, I want you to notice here that Paul calls Jesus the seed of David. Notice that. He says, seed of David. There are a couple of things that you need to understand here. The various titles that are given to Christ are meant to convey different aspects of His character and of His ministry. For instance, there are times when Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. 
obviously that is underscoring his divinity. But there are other times that he is referred to as the Son of Man, which is meant to highlight his humanity. Because we believe that even though Jesus was 100% God while he was on this earth, he was also 100% man at the exact same time. And it reveals again his character and his ministry here on this earth. The seed of David, this title that was given to him, linking him to the line or the lineage of King David obviously, would also reveal his humanity. Paul, in calling Jesus the Christ, or the Messiah, is recognizing his divinity, but then quickly coming in and referring to him as the seed of David, is quick to point out to Timothy that he also was here in a flesh and blood body. Something that we often forget. We get so hung up on the fact that he was 100% God, and he was, that we forget that while on this earth, he was also 100% man. And that everything he endured, he endured in the same flesh and blood body you're in right now. He was subject to temptation just like we are, and yet without sin. And Paul was bringing that to the surface here, because he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, every time you feel like giving up, every time you feel like this is not fair, Every time you feel like this is not right, this is not what a Christian should go through, this is not how a Christian should be treated, I want you to consider that Jesus, in His flesh, suffered and died, but He also rose again. And what He's saying is, Timothy, don't allow yourself to wallow in self-pity when you're suffering, but rather remember that the captain of your salvation did as well, and you are to follow that same example. And I would stand before you today and tell you folks that every time it's difficult and you feel sorry for yourself and you say it's not fair, I want you to snap yourself and say, no, I'm to remember that even my Savior, the captain of my salvation, who called me and enlisted me as a good soldier, he went through it as well and if he can do it by the spirit i can do it in jesus mighty name praise god well i love the way you're shouting i know because all of you want an excuse to keep behaving like you are but there is no excuse because greater is he that is living in me than he that is in the world also and i don't want to read too much into this but i find it very ironic that just two verses before he calls Christ the seed of David, he spoke of the hard-working farmer who is committed to his crops. I don't think that that was a mistake. I think that that's still in his mind. He's speaking of the hard-working farmer that is committed to the crops and the harvest coming in, and then he calls him the seed of David. For crops to grow, what has to happen first? A seed has to be planted. A seed has to go into the ground. It has to die. And only after it dies is there life that springs forth. Isn't it amazing that life comes out of death? It is out of the process of death and dying that a harvest comes forth. 
You know, I grew up in an agricultural town, and we're not too far from agricultural areas ourselves. And it's amazing when you look out over a vineyard, or you're looking out over an orchard, or you're looking out over fields where vegetables are being grown, that it all started with a little seed. It doesn't even look like that anymore. But the potential that lies within that little seed can only be realized when it dies. But when it dies, it brings forth more than could ever be imagined. And I believe that this is all in Paul's mind. Remember what Jesus said, speaking of his own death and burial in John 12 and verse 24. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Jesus was saying of himself, as long as I am here on this earth, then I am alone. But once I am buried into the belly of the earth, something great is going to come out on the third day and everyone that calls upon my name though they are dead yet shall they live come on can somebody say amen here today and I believe that what Paul is saying is Timothy I know enduring hardship is difficult and I know it can be overwhelming and when it is I want you to remember that even your Savior went through 33 and a half years of unrelenting affliction and torment and abuse and ridicule and suffering and false accusation ultimately they beat him to death and then on a cross he died and they buried him and everyone thought he was dead and that the movement was over but on the third day he led captivity captive he came out of that tomb and everyone that has believed upon him has resurrection life tracing through their body Timothy as he did you need to do also says, Timothy, I know you're passing through a dying season right now. I know they're coming against you. They're abandoning you. They want to arrest you. But you're coming out of this one way or another. If they kill you, son, then you are going to be resurrected to be with Jesus forevermore. But if you live through this experience, you're going to come through greater and stronger because what is inside of you can't come out until you submit yourself to the death. And then only in death will come resurrection in Jesus. Jesus' mighty name. Can I tell you, it's all in how you look at it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, it's all in how you look at it. You can look at it as dying, but I'm going to look at it as resurrecting. In Jesus' mighty name. Some of you right now, you think what you're going through is killing you. Can I tell you, that's a good thing. Because unless a seed goes into the ground, it's alone. And its potential will never be realized. It's not killing you, it's resurrecting you. In Jesus' mighty name, you're going to come out of this. And you're going to come out stronger. And you're going to come out better. In Jesus' name, humble yourself and let God do His work in your life. In Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. I think one of the saddest commentaries in the church today is that everybody wants resurrection power, but nobody wants to die. God, resurrect my marriage, but I don't want to have to die to what I want. If you want a resurrection, you have to comes down to that. When I counsel her, I love the way you're shouting now. Because again, everybody wants that resurrection power. Nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to die to themselves. 
was talking to a young man just this past week. And man, the Lord was working in his heart. It was right after our prayer time one night, and he just came up, and the Lord was just doing the work, and he was weeping. And you could tell that he was uncomfortable with it, but God was doing the work. And he just shared with me some of the pain that he has had in his life and his relationships. And, you know, I, I just prayed for him, and I said this. I said, Lord, he's going through a dying season, but that's not a bad thing. Because only in death could he rise. And when he rises this time, he'll be a new creation in Christ. The old pass away, everything brand new in Jesus' name. And see, that, that's how you and I have to look at this. You have to look at this, yeah, I'm in a dying season. And this, I feel, is killing me, but that's not a bad thing. Because only that which dies can be resurrected in me in the flesh. In Jesus' name. This is why Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 10 that I may know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being performed due his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I trust Come on, say that, but I press on. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell him, press on, brother. Press on, sister, that I may lay hold of that to which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. We're not there, but we're pressing on. You may have failed this week, press on. You may have failed this morning, press on. Don't give up in Jesus' name. Watch this now. Remember, this is verse 8 again, that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Again, gospel means good news. Whenever you see gospel, that's what it means, good news. For which I suffer trouble. As an evildoer, even to the point of change, but the word of God is not changed. I chuckle a little bit because only Paul could get away with using the phrase good news and then turn around four words later and use suffering. Those are two words you would never use in the same sentence. But in Paul's mind, there was absolutely no conflict. In Paul's mind, suffering and the gospel were compatible with each other and never in conflict. I love the way you shout me it's only until you reach the modern era that you find believers struggling with the idea that God could use and allow suffering to do a work in our life. Can I tell you that for at least the first 1,600 years of church history, no one even questioned it. No one got upended when difficult times came. Like Livingston, they said... Wow, we get to suffer with Jesus. It's only until self-centered humanism started coming into the church that we started feeling, well, we deserve better than that. Paul, languishing in a cell, understood that for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, bearing reproach, and going through suffering is sometimes necessary. Because he realized that some people were never going to go to a church and were never going to submit themselves to the Word of God. But he had an opportunity to exemplify Christ in his own covenant and show them in bearing reproach and suffering 
that he can humble himself to the will of God and thereby show Christ to remember Folks, sometimes the gospel requires, it demands that we stay when everyone else runs. It means that we don't run from marriage when it's difficult. It means that we forgive those who have oppressed us. It means that we pray regularly for our enemies. It means that we do not retaliate or seek revenge. And you say, Pastor Kurt, that is so unfair. I've said it a long time. Somebody called a regular. It's not fair. Well, I would love for you to open up your Bible and show me the scripture that tells you that life says. Being a child of God doesn't mean that life's going to be fair. Being a child of God means that you stay faithful even when life isn't fair. Jesus. Paul said, I suffer trouble as an evil doer, even to the point of change. Is that fair? Is it fair to Kemp being in prison for preaching the gospel? The good news? But Paul understood there was something bigger going on than me. There's a bigger picture that is being developed. There's a greater story that is being told than my life. I'm just a little part of a great plan. I've got 60 years on this planet to live and I'm going to live the better part of them for the glory of the Lord because one day I'm going to be gone but His gospel is going to keep marching on from generation to generation. Was it fair for Jesus to die for your sin? Is that fair? But Jesus in the garden said, nevertheless, my will but thy will be done. Today, as you consider coming back to this prayer meeting that we're going to have all afternoon, I would love for you seriously to pray, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. If you all pray that, you'll all be back to this. You didn't think I could get that on this. When the church calls a fast, you're all supposed to I'll see you in the morning. Listen to this. I've got a new one for you. The pastor appreciation day is coming. I've got to back off here. Listen, I love the contrast here. Listen, I suffer even in the point of change, but the Word of God is unchanged. Paul was saying, no matter what they do to me, they can't stop the Word. Paul's saying, no matter what they do, they can't stop the Word of God. They can chain me, but the Word of God is not chained. You and I need to realize that we are just here for a moment, and they may beat us, they may ridicule us, but they can't stop the Word of God. Many of you know a few weeks ago, presidential hopeful Beto O'Rourke, what a wonderful man, was asked if churches should continue to receive tax exemption for refusing to honor same-sex marriages 
And he responded this way. Remember what he said? There can be no reward, no benefit, no tax break for anyone or any institution or any organization in America that denies the full human rights and the full civil rights of every single one of us. And as president, as if that meant anything to God, and as president, we are going to stop those who are infringing upon the rights of our fellow Americans. You can only imagine God up in heaven laughing, thinking, do you honestly believe you can intimidate me because you're president of the United States? I'm sorry, Congressman. Marriage isn't a right. It is a sacred privilege ordained by Almighty God. Yes, there is someone infringing upon something, but you are the one infringing upon the God-ordained institution of marriage between one man and one woman that he established at the very beginning. And another thing, with all due respect, Mr. O'Rourke, you can take our tax-exempt status away. You can outlaw the preaching of the uncompromised word of God. You can arrest us. You can detain us. You can close our churches. You can tear them down. You might even get some preachers to back down and to compromise. But the one thing you'll never do is stop the word of the living God. It'll live on from generation to generation. No, you're not going to intimidate us. We're going to preach it as long as we have life in our lungs. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on. It's time for the church to say no more not on my watch in Jesus mighty name we got to have that same strength we got to have that ability and I'm going to tell you if you can't do it in your marriage in your family in your workplace you'll never do it if it becomes institutional so don't sit there and think, well, I died for my faith. You can't even live for your faith right now. So let's get that in You realize that there's something bigger going on. There is a name above all other names. And that name has been trusted to you and me. Every time you say, I am a Christian, you are saying, I am a child of God, and you better make sure that you're representing him well. Okay. Man, I gotta finish this last part, and I, I do so I, I gotta I gotta say this part. We all love songs, and those of you that have been serving the Lord for many years, you know that you have a song or several songs that you can immediately sing in your story may encourage you home. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You got a song, and whenever you're feeling down, you just sing that. Okay, Paul was no different. I know that some of you think, Paul's not that way. Yes, he was. And the reason I say that is because verses 11, 12, and 13 are actually lyrics to a hymn that was sung in Paul's day when Christians gathered together. Scholars have long believed, as they read this, that it's clear that these were lyrics of a song that they used to sing when they gathered together as believers in Paul's death. And it's interesting because Paul was known to sing hymns in prison. You may remember in the Philippian jail, 
the Lord joined in and said, you're missing the drum section, send an earthquake and set them free. But, but um, these are words to the soul. She says, you know, even here in prison, I'm chained to these other men. I'm sitting in faith. But I'm going to remind you of my favorite song. Containing the most faithful lyrics that you and I can hold to. He says, This is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot be himself. That was the same. And in it, he said, These are four faithful sayings. Faithful there means unchangeable. In other words, he's saying these will never change. We can build our lives upon them. Number one, if we die with him, we will also live with him. That is founded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said at the tomb of his friend Lazarus? I am the resurrection of life. He who believes upon me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Folks, let not your heart be troubled. The worst they can do yet is kill you. But that ain't a bad trade. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Remember, they're being persecuted and they're looking around and as they're, they're singing the song, they're thinking to themselves, we might actually die when we leave here. But they say, if we die with him, Secondly, if we endure, we shall reign with him. We're not only going to live forever, we're going to reign If, if we endure to the end. The word endure in the Greek is a compound word. The first word means under. The second word means remain. It's the idea that even though I am under hardship, I remain. I'm not leaving. I'm not bending. I remain. This whole week as I've been thinking about it, I've been thinking about that old song, All, all Hail King Jesus. All Hail Emmanuel. King of kings and Lord of lords, bright morning star. Throughout eternity, I'll sing His praises, and forevermore, I will reign. Say, Pastor, that, that's not biblical. Oh, yes, it is. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death, hell has no power but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. Let me ask you, do you think when you've been reigning with Jesus for 999 years, you're going to remember anything you're going through right now? That's why Paul said, it's not even compared to the what's waiting for us. It'll be worth it all. But then there's a shift in the song says, yes, this is faithful. If we die with Him, we'll live with Him. If we endure, we'll reign. But if we deny Him, He will deny us. Remember what Jesus said? He said, if you deny me before men, I deny the That's a faithful statement. It's unchangeable. If we deny the only Christ, He will deny us. And judge us And then finally, if we are faithless, 
he remains faithful to not deny himself. Now the error would be if you thought what he meant there is if you're unfaithful, still God will be faithful to bless your life. That is not what he meant. You know what he was saying? In all honesty, he's saying even if the whole church goes faithless and falls away from the Lord, God will remain faithful to what he's always said. He's not going to he's not going to lower the standard to make it easier for us to get in. You're going to remember, they're singing this in a church where they're watching family and friends walk away from the faith. They're giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. They're no longer tolerating sound doctrine. I mean, they're all over the place. And so the tendency, as they see their loved ones falling away, is to lower the standard to make it easier for them to get into heaven. But what they're saying is, listen, even if we all go faithless and abandon the faith, his standard remains standard. That's tough. Remember when we were in school and everyone did really bad on the test? The teacher would grade on a curve. Yeah, God's never going to do that. <laughs> He's never going to lower the standard. He says, if any man comes unto me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. Well, that's too hard. Well, that's too bad. That's And he's not lowering it so that more people will get in. Humans. Folks, we live in dark times. And we're going to see people falling around. But don't you think for a moment that that means his standing is a neighbor. He is a faithful God. We've got to stand in this hour knowing he's the resurrection and the life Jesus here. Amen. Come on. Come all the praise. Stand to your feet. Lord, we've gone over our time. But I believe you have something to say to us. I pray that we would leave strengthened. That we would leave challenged. And I pray that... Even as Paul sung that song.